We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to the Three Mob Podcast. I am John Kurtz. You know Cole Manbeck and Derek Young. They're with me here as well. Uh, we've got a mixed bag, I would say, today of things to discuss. K-State basketball recruiting still red hot. The Wildcats seem in very good position with Antoine Davis, one of the highest profile transfers out there right now in the portal. We've secured the services of Cameron Carter. Could a five-star visit still be on the way? We have updates on that. There's a lot of ground to cover as far as what is happening with Jerome Tang and company. Uh, it is going to be really exciting to continue to talk about that. Getting some getting some great code vibes from back in the, the Michael Beasley days. Uh, plus spring football. K-State did not have a spring game, but spring football is wrapped up now for the Wildcats, and D.Y. has certainly uh, had his ears to the ground as far as that is concerned. Don't forget about uh, that little old football team that we have here at K-State as well. So excited to get into everything here. Before we do, let me remind you, KCSN is brought to you by 360 Vodka Holiday Distillery. And the great folks at Holiday Distillery now have some bourbon coming out as well, which I think is going to perk up the ears of everybody that is uh, involved in this podcast right now. When I got sent this read today um, about the fact that Holiday Distillery is about to uh, unveil their bourbon here in about a month, they underwent a $10 million renovation, by the way, in 2015 to start distilling bourbon. But when I heard that, I was like, well, this is perfect. I mean, not that we don't appreciate vodka, but DY, I just assume you're you're probably drinking bourbon right now. And I assume that Cole has had, I assume that Cole had seven of them yesterday and woke up perfectly fine today because he doesn't ever get hung over. But uh, you should definitely check out the Holiday Distillery bourbon when when that does come out there. I'll, I'll leave Seed the floor, I suppose, to you guys right now, if you'd like to defend your drinking habits. I'm actually drinking water right now. I would like to point out we got a nice little logo now, too. A three Mall. We do. That Three Mall logo looks great, man. It looks great. I'm sure it looks even better to those of you that are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts and, and can't actually see it. <laughs> I I am drinking water, too, John. I just got out of uh, coaching, helping coach Brody's Little League practice, so... Couldn't be drinking before that, and as you know, I Sunday is a day. I'm not a Sunday fun day guy. I am. I'm, I drink more on Thursdays through Saturdays. Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but, but but as you know, as you know, I I could go uh, pretty aggressively and be just fine with you guys on the road trips. That it's, we've been on. It, it's infuriating. Let me tell you, everybody. I remember a trip to Austin once upon a time. Back in the PowerCat game day days when we're getting ready to do pregame radio and Friday night, we went out and hit 6th Street, which not only did we hit 6th Street, but Cole made me go to like dirty 6th Street, like the real college part. And uh, man, just slamming whiskey sevens all night and woke up like it was nothing. Meanwhile, 
I had about half that, you know, I'm usually a beer guy and uh, I am just dying, like trying to get myself up and ready for like a six o'clock kickoff. It was a night game, I'm pretty sure. And uh, it was infuriating how uh, how quickly Cole was able to just flip that switch while I'm just guzzling coffee, trying to make my, my brain work. So such a great such a great skill set to have that I, I possess. It's really something to brag about. It Don't is get hangovers. Never thrown up from drinking you guys. So you can hate me for that as well. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I am excited for all of us to try the uh, bourbon when it comes out from Holiday Distillery. In all seriousness, appreciate their support on the podcast here, as always. Um, where do we want to start? Like, Because to, to be honest, K-State has gotten a commitment, and I don't want to overshadow Cameron Carter, who transfers from Mississippi State. We did talk about him last pod because it felt like K-State was on the cusp of getting him. I, to me, it all feels like it's about Antoine Davis right now. Right. I mean, this is a guy coming in from Detroit Mercy, potentially the son of Mike Davis, former Indiana head coach, um, really talented, prolific scorer, uh, one of the best scorers in NCAA history. And he had an awesome visit by all accounts on social media. Th- that is the, the thing that seems to be generating the most buzz right now. So I'm, I'm going to start with that. D.Y., are, are we he's, he's taking the BYU visit this week, which is unfortunate. He did not commit after what seemed to be a great time where he's tweeting about having brothers for life and Marquise Noel and Ish Masood who are with him. Uh, how, how good should we be feeling here at this point in time about it? Because to me, uh, let me, let me just put my opinion. I feel great, but I also have this like K-State fan condition where it's recruiting and K-State. And so I'm conditioned to be very pessimistic about it, even though my brain is telling me all the signs here are that he's going to be a wildcat. Yeah, you are a victim of PTSD is what it sounds like um, when it comes to kids. They recruit. I, I, I think there's a reason to definitely feel optimistic and feel good about their chances. You would think that Maryland and Georgetown would be your more robust competitors than BYU, at least on the surface to me, especially when we're talking about basketball. Like football, yeah, maybe BYU can put up a fight. Basketball, realize it's an improving program, but it's in the West Coast Conference. Um, with Gonzaga, of course, but I believe so, right? West Coast Conference in basketball. And uh, so I, I guess I just failed to see Kent State losing out to BYU in that scenario, especially when they outdid Maryland and Georgetown, um, according to Antoine Davis, right? He was the one that said this is the best visit I've ever had after he had already been to Maryland and Georgetown. I think it was like three visits back to back to back too, so easily comparable. And, and the Wildcats fared well. Um, a little surprised to still taking that BYU visit, but uh, they definitely seem like they're, you know, proceeding through this, you know, with the structure, with the plan in mind that wasn't going to fall off track just because they got caught up in a visit. Um, I think perhaps a high school would have, but, and let's remember he, you know, he's been playing at the University of Detroit for his father. So I doubt he relished in a recruitment out of high school the way that he can right now as well. Cole, yeah, I would echo that. Pessimistic yeah. like me, Cole, or are you going to be going to be captain optimism? You uh, seemed a little pessimistic, you know, in the, in the group text yesterday, but I was, I was just, just a little annoyed that he didn't commit. Uh, you know, I w- would love to get another commitment on the board, obviously. And uh, he, he was clearly blown away by his visit and would have loved to have gotten that wrapped up, but it, it's going to carry on for a little longer. I don't think BYU is a legitimate threat. I mean, shoot, he tweeted out the picture initially on on Twitter with his top four and said and said BYU is 
is also in this, but they're not in the picture. And then he got one up on Instagram later. But I think you got to get the picture there that probably not the greatest threat. I mean, the one thing BYU does have is a lot of money, right? They're, they've got rich alums. And so they'll probably throw an aggressive NIL deal at him. But, you know, we'll get to this later on in this podcast. I don't think Kansas State is in a position where they can't do the same. I think K-State will be very aggressive on the NIL front as well and name, image, and likeness. And he'll have probably a pretty good deal from from someone with Kansas State in the business. So I, I think I feel good about K-State's chances to land him. Just would have loved to have gotten it wrapped up and got another commitment on the board. Um, but I, I think eventually it comes in K-State's favor. The one thing I'll say, you know, Coach Tang talked about Kansas State fans, the reason they're going to get guys, they have the best fans. And boy, did they follow through on social media in terms of the engagement of, of Antoine Davis's visit. I mean, the engagement, the interactions on social media, Twitter, Instagram, just completely blew away anything that he had from his Georgetown visit, his Maryland visit. When he posted about the visits, I mean, Georgetown, Maryland combined for like 1,300 engagements total. And all of his Kansas State posts went over 3,000 engagements in less than 24 hours. So, you know, he knows that Kansas State fans, there's just a different level of atmosphere and environment here. He'd be the big man on campus if if he came to K-State. And and I think ultimately K-State will win out in this recruitment. It's a huge deal. I mean, 22nd all-time leading scorer in college basketball, averaged 24.6 points per game in his career. He's a tremendous player. It would be a huge get. Well, the funny thing is, like you said, I mean, the the fan base has rallied around this cause so much. Like there was a huge rally and outpouring after the the press conference, right? And you know, jokes from the rest of Kansas City media aside about how pumped everybody was about the press conference. I mean, legitimately, you had reason to be very fired up and excited. And then there was like the dip, right? Well, the assistants get hired and you find out in particular about Yurik and you're like, man, like we just took Chris Beard's top recruiter. This is great. This is awesome. And then there's a couple week period where nothing happens. There's no commitments. People, I don't know if like wavering is the right word, but people were antsy. And so then you get, bam, commitment, bam, commitment. And now you're hearing about this high profile transfer in here. You're hearing about maybe... Perry coming in a five star for a, a visit here in a couple of weeks, and everybody just rallied behind this as much as possible. A- almost too much so because Marquise Noel was having to delete tweets about, you know, trying to organize fans together, like rally them together to go out and see Davis when he was here in town. But clearly it worked, right? Clearly the effect was still had here with the fans and, and what they're able to do. And it seemed to make a big, big impression on him. And, you know, we're in this interesting place where it's like everything in recruiting feels like. The, just the wild, wild west with NIL, obviously the transfer portal, how many kids are in there. It, it almost feels to me like there's this other element of it now where it's like now all the fans are trying to get involved. Social media is being weaponized. And I mean that in like a positive way here in this sense for K-State. Um, it's taking advantage of one of the things that K-State does have, which is a, an extremely loyal and passionate fan base. So it's just been awesome to see that K-State can utilize that as a piece of what they do have to offer well, at the same time, fans do know, hey, we're, we're being competitive for these guys because we're also ponying up the money. Like the, the high dollar fans behind the scenes are, are coming together and ponying up some NIL bucks. So everybody just feels like they're doing what they can and like pulling in the in the same direction right now, which, God, I mean, it feels like it was five years ago. Cole, it was not that long ago that we walked over to Sprint Center, excuse me, the artist formerly known as Sprint Center, a couple blocks away from where I'm sitting right now and watch Bruce Weber lose to West Virginia. That feels like it was five years ago. And that was like five weeks ago. 
but everybody is really pulling in the same direction. Yeah, no, it, it's great to see. It's great to see the interactions with the fan base and how engaged and truly locked in they are in supporting the staff and, and doing everything they can. The fans are clearly bought in. It's a great thing. I'm sure the coaching staff really appreciates it as well. And, you know, on the NIL front, I mean, Kansas State can be a major player on the NIL. And DY, I know you'll probably have something to jump in with this as well. But I think a lot of people forget, yeah, Kansas State alums and donors have a lot more money than people realize. And, you know, maybe K-State fans are just a little more modest with it and how they present themselves. But there's a lot of money when it comes to K-State. All you got to do is look back over the last 11, 12 years, all the facility projects that K-State's done. I, I actually wrote them all down earlier today. $326 million in facility projects for athletics that K-State has done over the last 11 years. You go back to the basketball, the Ice Family Basketball Practice Arena, which was $20 million. And the majority of these were raised by private donations. I mean, K-State doesn't have a lot of debt on the books. They have funded this through private donors. And when it comes to NIL, K-State has a lot of donors that are willing to support that. And they're stepping forward. We know K-State's gotten a lot of large uh, gifts or toward the NIL collectives that the K-State's stepping, that fans and alums are stepping forward with. And so the money is going to be there. K-State's going to be competitive in this landscape, uh, this new era of college athletics. And, and I think it's an exciting time. And uh it's also an interesting landscape. I mean, it, it, I can see why some fans may not like it because it is the wild, wild west. And, you know, a lot of kids are going out to bid. But but I certainly think K-State will be a player in that market. Well, can, can I make one one quick point on NIL in general? Because, Cole, I, it feels to me like now John Curry was a great fundraiser and, and deserves a world of credit for everything he did to raise all the money he did for those buildings. And they got, a, as you just outlined, a ton of money. As much as people hate NIL, and and I am not nearly in like the panic mode that a lot of people seem to be, oh, K-State's going to get left behind. All these schools are going to get left behind. I just think we don't. It's just so wild right now. I don't think we know how this thing is going to settle. Something that seems apparent to me here is like, especially if you have a charismatic coach that can come in and be the closer, which is what I've been told is what's happening right now with Tang and securing some of this NIL money. If you're a donor, like if you're coming to me, if I'm rich, okay, say I'm Elon Musk, right? I've got my 40 billion to throw around. Instead of buying Twitter, I'm going to help out K-State. If you come to me and you say, hey, man, you can literally like give this to Rodney Perry or you can give this to whoever, like to, to bring them in. Michael Beasley is out there. You can go bring Michael Beasley in. Like that's more exciting to me than thinking like, oh, hey, I'm going to put this money in a pot that might go into the next West Stadium center. I don't know. It, isn't that a part of the psychology here that people can look at this and see like a more instant impact with the fact that they can give money and all of a sudden secure the number 22 all-time score in NCAA history? Well, I, I think the thing is that Kansas State is in a great place because they've gotten all these facility projects done, that their facilities, the arms race when it comes to facilities is in such a good place. They're not going to have to spend a lot more revenue or raise money toward those right here in the near future. The volleyball arena, the indoor football all of that's going to be complete. The football stadium is in great shape. They got the Ice Family Basketball Arena. They, they have all these things in place now. And so you've already got great facilities. We look at the University of Kansas and the football stadium. They're going to have to pour 200 plus million into to make that thing into a, a nice stadium. I mean, K-State has gotten ahead of the arms race. And the thing they've done with facilities is they've got a lot of revenue producing seats that were part of the facility project. So you look at the Shamrock Zone and the West Stadium Center, which were all funded by private donations and athletic and seating revenue 
um, and through those donations that you've got revenue producing seats through those seeding capitals, the donations required to get them. So it's going to be constantly year over year producing compounded revenue. And that's a great thing. And when it comes to the NIL front, John, I think that's going to be the next thing is, are you going to start seeing people get caught up in the facility arms race or is it going to be the NIL arms race? And I, I think that's what we're going to start to see is more money being directed toward paying the player and getting more talent than focusing on the facility. I mean, you don't need a bunch of barbershops and these athletic facilities, right? And all the, the fancy bells and whistles anymore. I think it's more about, I, I think these kids, instead of having that type of facility, would rather make a couple hundred thousand. Of course, right. that would be the, that would be what I would want. Buy their own barbershops. Right. The, the evolution of what NIL is and will become will be an interesting thing to watch because at some point, and I don't know if how drastic it'll be, there'll be a market correction. There will be some that get buyer's remorse. Not all. There's a lot of players getting a good chunk of money right now. Not all those players are going to be good. Not all those players, as we're also seeing very prevalently, are going to stick with that school. So that's just going to be an interesting item to watch and what that market correction looks like if, if some folks get a little bit more protective of you know, paying someone for NIL purposes. Um, and obviously there's a transaction involved as, as well. Um, but on the flip side, it is interesting that folks were worried about that it will would create more of a gap between the haves and have-nots. I think there's an argument to be made that it might be closing that gap a little bit just because um, – I mean, I think there was a group of programs we all know by now that were more willing to do it, even when it was not legal. And now that it is legal, I think more programs are showing a willingness to, you know, find ways to have players be compensated. Um, with, and obviously, it's through NIL, even though it might be creatively through NIL. Um, and I think that's why you're kind of seeing, you know, coaches like Bill Self. Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, speak out against this because it, it, it is interesting what coaches are speaking out because those were typically the coaches that we could probably assume might have been in that kind of business before that business was okay to do. And I think they're seeing that maybe they don't hold that same competitive advantage as they once did. I, I think that that is one of the most salient points that we made so far. A couple of things here. One I totally agree with that too. I realized I was I keep mixing up Rodney Perry and Julian Phillips, which is not a great move on my part on a number of fronts. So my apologies for that. Um, but it, it's so true. Like when I saw Saban and I, I saw Self's quote about it as well. And this is like Bill Self, who, by the way, is supposedly getting a visit from Tyrese Hunter of Iowa State, who's one of the most sought after players in the transfer portal of this cycle. He did speak out kind of saying like, yeah, I don't know about this. And you can say, hey, it's from the goodness of their hearts that they're doing it and real concern about the, the state of the game, right? And the health of the game. But like, come on, really? He was on, he was on an FBI wiretap as doing it years ago. Exactly. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, no, man, these guys care about what's good for them. And if those coaches are coming out and saying that, I think, and, and it may not even be that the gap is totally closing right now. It may just be like this fear of the unknown, but that to me still accentuates the point. Like we don't know what the market correction is going to be. We don't know what this is going to look like eventually. And 
before we get into that Nigel Pack getting 800 grand, right, for two years to go to Miami, I, I think the more prevalent point as it relates to K-State right now is just the emphasis. And Cole, I guess you can just you can say what you want to. I kind of alluded to some of this, and I have heard some of this as well. I just I feel very good about the position K-State is in from an NIL standpoint. And so at least like right now in the short term, I feel like K-State's going to be as competitive or more competitive in the recruiting space than they ever have been because of that. And then long term, I don't really know what to expect. I think there will be some corrections. I think there will be some people looking around like, wait, what's my ROI on giving up 800 grand for two years of 17 points per game on a bad basketball team? You know, I mean, I think there will be some of that. And we just don't know. We have no idea where this is actually going to end up. So I just spare me the gloom and doom at least right now, because of the position I feel like K-State's in and the unknown of how all of this is going to play out eventually. Yeah, I, I can safely say that we know between all of us that Kansas State's got millions of dollars at play when it comes to NIL in terms of commitments from donors that are willing to give. So, you know, I'd be I'd hate to give a dollar value on it now, but it, it's in the millions. It's not just one million or two million. It's several million dollars that Kansas State has available. And I say Kansas State, Kansas State doesn't have an involvement necessarily. It's through the collectives, right? Um, through the collectives and independently done there. K-State's not a, rec- not a recruiting inducement. Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, K-State is in a good position. And, and to what you guys have alluded to, um, we, we don't know how this thing's going to shake out. To what DY talked about earlier, completely agree. I think there's going to be some return on the investments where kids bust all the time. I mean, these kids coming out of high school, these five-star recruits, there's going to be a lot of busts. And how will donors feel when they give a million dollars to a kid and they don't really get that return on the investment? Are they going to feel burnt on that? I think the other aspect of it is, is those donors that do give that money, I mean, (laughs) they're going to want their guy to get some playing time, right? To see him producing. It's better for the brand and the business, right? If you're giving a million dollars and that guy's not getting on the field or getting on the court much, it's just going to be a very interesting dynamic for the next couple of years. The same thing with the transfer portal. You know, we see these outrageous transfer numbers right now, but I think that'll eventually cool off because I think a lot of kids will realize the grass isn't greener. I haven't had a chance to read the NCAA article, the report that came out earlier today, but it looked like a large number of, of kids ended up not landing anywhere that ended up in the transfer portal over the last couple of years. And I, I think a lot of these kids think that they're going to end up going to other power five schools and then they they get hit with a reality check that they might not be as good as they thought and you know then try to go back to their old school and and they don't have a place for them and so i think eventually the transfer portal will cool off too and we won't see these egregious numbers in terms of 1400 1500 kids in the portal well at the risk of just turning into an entire pod about uh nil i'm going to steer it back to where we're at right now with K-State, because I know that's why most of you are here. Let me raise this question, Cole. I, I am 1,000% on board for for Davis. I mean, K-State needs bodies that can score the basketball right now. Uh, that much is apparent. And if you can bring in a top 25 score all time in college hoops history, like I, I'm not going to ask any questions regardless of level of basketball, et cetera. But how worth it is it? You know, how worth it is it for K-State to shell out a bunch of NIL money for this guy? I know you've done a pretty deep dive on his efficiency numbers to go along with those scoring numbers because it can be tough to know how that's going to translate. I think you look at the competition K-State's been up against and you feel pretty good about it. I think the obvious just need that K-State has in general, as I mentioned, makes it a no-brainer. But what what do you 
how do you dissect how efficient those scoring numbers actually are and how well they'll translate to the Big 12 level if K-State is to land it? Well, and I got to give a lot of the, the credit here to our guy, KSU underscore fan on Twitter, or also real name, Jimmy Goheen, as he helps pull all this together. He's really our go-to expert when it comes to basketball analytics and the efficiency numbers, and we rely on him heavily in, in our group chat on that. So I ran some of this by him because I wanted some feedback. And, you know, if you look at Antoine Davis's numbers, 53% effective field goal percentage this past year, that's really good. Anything over 50% is solid. You know, you look at fan and what he had pulled together in terms of usage rate, et cetera. You know, he had one of the highest usage rates in the country. He took 35% of his team's shots, yet his offensive rating was 112. And again, anything over 100 is decent. 112 is really good. Each of the last two years, he had an offensive rating of 112. And so those are really good numbers. And when you factor in that he's been on a team without a lot of talent, He's going to become on a team with a lot more talent, right? We don't know who all is going to be on this roster, but I, I trust Jerome Tang and this coaching staff that they're going to build some talent around Antoine Davis. And he's going to have a point guard in Marquise Noel that enables him to get off the ball a little bit more and gets him some better shots probably. Because if you look at the highlights of Antoine Davis, he's doing a lot of shot creation on his own, which is what that usage rate gets back to. He's got the ball on his hands a lot. And as a result, he does have a higher turnover rate but he might be able to play a little more off the ball with Marquise Noel, who will get him open shots, and then the other talent that opens things up for him. He'll get better looks. And this is a guy that already shot 37% or better from three each of the last two years and has made almost 500 threes in his career. He's a good shooter, and he'll probably get better looks at Kansas State. Now, the defenses they play will be tougher, but he has done it against good competition in their non-con games and against top 100 opponents, Notre Dame, Michigan State. Um, you know, you look up and down Clemson, there's several teams, power five, power six level teams that they've played that he's performed against. So it's a really good player, uh, very much worth it. And they need a veteran guy to come in to help with the scoring load. You know, you, I love the upside of Jarrell Colbert, love the upside of Cam Carter. I think they're both going to produce this year, but they need a guy that's a four or fifth year guy. They need a couple of those dudes that are experienced and then through it to come in and uh, give them some shot making ability. So I don't know if I could put a dollar number on it, John, in terms of NIL value, but I, he's very much worth bringing in. And that's why you get the set. K-State is really throwing the kitchen sink here at him to try and get him uh, under wraps and get this locked up. Yeah. All in as they should be, because I mean, you need, you need to create momentum within the program next year um, because of the circumstances right now. I think there's less tolerance for longer rebuilds and I'm, I'm with, I understand the coaching staff has said like, hey, we're not, you know, we're trying to do this the right way, build it the right way. I think you can basically be doing that well at the same time, still improving your current roster in a situation like this. And they've done so obviously with with adding Cam Carter. I don't, this is a guy that is, I feel like maybe getting lost in the shuffle a little bit because Jarrell Colbert, you know, was a top 25 player nationally at one point in time. He was the first commit that K-State got. There was a lot of excitement there. I mean, as soon as Carter committed, everybody kind of started drifting back to Davis. It's like, hey, Antoine Davis is coming in. There was the Julian Phillips stuff. Like, are we going to get a visit from this five-star kid? I don't think people should be overlooking Cameron Carter, D.Y., because I, I love what he brings to the table potentially with his game, especially if they do land somebody like Davis that can handle all the scoring. And then you get a facilitator, uh, just a dog, like a guy that can really defend and do a lot of the other things for you, a point guard. Yeah, and, and there's a case to be made that Cam Carter 
Yeah, there is some crossover there. Not crossover, I guess similarities to when Baylor got Davion Mitchell out of Auburn. Like he was a guy that had played, I guess you want to say, in a lot of games, but sort of sparingly and wasn't overly productive, but the upside and potential was there. And then really long, long athlete. I, I, Ken Carter is going to help out probably the most on the defensive end, but he's someone that can do a lot of different things for Kansas State. And I know there's the excitement about Jarrell Colbert because what his recruiting ranking once was. And I know he wasn't an extremely productive player, but Ken Carter was more productive at Mississippi State than Colbert yeah. was at LSU, and it wasn't even close. And even in the first uh, month of the season or maybe first four or five games, people were saying, you know, this Cam Carter kid at Mississippi State could be, they might be on to something in Starfield with what he was able to do in that first month or almost first month. And then he sort of got lost in the shuffle for whatever reason. Things really went downhill at Starkville for, I think, what Ben Howland was the coach. He eventually got fired. So it just seems like someone that probably um, – was almost the victim of circumstance in Mississippi State and probably could have been a lot more productive if not for the situation. And I know we said that about Jerome Colbert too, so we're definitely looking at this as a glass-half-full situation. Don't don't get me wrong. We did the same thing with Jerome Colbert. But in, in ways, I think there's more reason to be excited about Kim Carter than even Jerome Colbert. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I agree. Cam Carter, yeah, Cam Carter's going to produce right out of the gate. I mean, just because of his dynamic defensive ability. I mean, he's going to be a lockdown defensive player. He's long. He's six three, and he can get to the basket. You know, this is a kid that's really athletic, um, and he's also a good distributor. From what you've seen on high school highlights tape and his his limited highlights at Mississippi State, and I, I just don't take a lot of what happened at Mississippi State because that roster was a mess this year, and the situation that unfolded was a bit of a mess. It, you know, you, you suddenly look, if you go through his game logs, you know, midway through the season, he suddenly gets back on the court against Alabama. I can't remember if it was at Alabama or not, but he scored 15 points in that game. And that was after he hardly played for a month. And then he gets back on the court and has 15 against a good Alabama team. So, yeah, I, I think he's a very talented kid. He was the number 114 player in the country in 24-7's composite rankings for the 2021 class. So, this is a kid that historically K-State fans would be ecstatic over getting because, you know, he's a very talented player. He'd be one of the most talented players in terms of ranking, recruiting class rankings that Bruce Weber brought in. And he, Bruce Weber had some success with kids kind of in that ranking category. You think of Dean Wade and, and some others. So I think K-State fans should be really excited about Cam Carter. I think it's a really nice addition, a guy that's really going to work hard, give it his all on the defensive side and, and is a longer guard that, to that point, D.Y. made about Davion Mitchell. I mean, I, I'm not going to say he's going to be a 
you know, top 10 NBA draft pick like Davion Mitchell was, but Davion Mitchell is an elite defender. He's a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year um, and a guy that really got better as a shooter at Baylor. He became a very good shooter from three. And Cam Carter, not a great shooter at the high school level and early on at Mississippi State and his limited opportunities. But I think he's a guy that can probably get to 35% from three, and you would love that. You would take that in a heartbeat. And Davion Mitchell, also someone that was, you know, similar numbers, I think, with Cam Carter and Mississippi State and all of them. Not saying that they're the same player, but, you know, something they've worked with before. They've went this avenue before. Under four, the, yeah, under four points per game. You can see the blueprint, you know? I mean, a lot of the blueprint that was there at – at Baylor, you can see some of that starting to to take shape and come to fruition right now at K-State. Okay, as far as Julian Phillips is concerned, five-star recruit, um, Link Academy, the link, no pun intended there, being that there, there have been rumors, whispers, whatever you want to call it, about K-State potentially hiring Roddy Perry, who uh, was, was the coach there. How confident should we be? Because there has been – I would just say there have been conflicting reports on like what is going on with Julian Phillips recruitment. He's one of the highest rated uncommitted players still left in that class. Some chatter like, is he going to just skip college altogether and not go that route? Is Auburn an overwhelming favorite? Will he even make it to the first week of May when we had thought was going to be the time that K-State would actually get a visit here? How do we try to sort some of this out, D.Y.? Yeah, well, initially, when I, when we discovered the, the link between the two sides there, we were, we were kind of under the impression that it wasn't going to have a substantial impact on that particular recruitment, uh, that, that being a five-star Julian Phillips. And, and I still think it's probably a recruitment that's more touch and go than hard and fast. I mean, the reports that come out, they do come out and then they seem to be, you know, just a little bit different even hours later. So there's probably going to be some more twists and turns along the way. I think the most consistent rumbling associated with his recruitment is probably what's more correct than anything. That would be my assumption. And that would be Auburn, right? I think that's been the most consistent. So if anything were to happen, I would put you know, the strongest confidence on um, anything it would be for him to, to pick Auburn. Will he visit Kansas State? Uh, depends on who you listen to. I, I, I think that there's been conversations and a dialogue and a discussion about that coming to fruition. Is it a hard and fast yes? No. Is it a hard and fast no? Probably not that either. Like I said, this is a, a recruitment that's probably more touch and go than it is hard and fast. Um, could could it end up somewhere not in college basketball? Probably. There probably seems to be that avenue available to him that he wants to at least consider as well. At the end of the day, I think, again, I think the most consistent chatter is probably what is the most truest, and that's probably that Auburn is definitely the lead. Yeah, I would agree. You see a lot about Auburn. Uh, you see a lot about Auburn. I, I think – I would just like to see the visit actually happen. This is not somebody I'm counting on coming here, but it's been exciting just to be in the conversation again. Like I said, it gives me those vibes of when K-State had Bob Huggins coming off of the year where he was unaffiliated and could basically just recruit Bill Walker, Michael Beasley, OJ Mayo, yeah. without having a school to come to. And K-State's being mentioned with not only Beasley and Walker, who they got, but Mayo, Kevin Love, DeJuan Blair. And it was like this wildly exciting time. Like there are some shades of that here. And I would just, 
especially with seeing how much Antoine Davis like loved the visit and how the fans got behind it. If you could just get the kid in on a visit and, and we could at least see what it would look like to have a five-star kid there on a visit and see everybody rally around him like that. I just, I really want that selfishly, even if you don't wind up landing the kid um, to maybe open some more eyes, you know, and see like, Hey, we can impress a five-star kid, even if Auburn had this huge lead and winds up landing the dude. Uh, I would just like to see that part actually come to fruition. It is interesting being on the other side of that while it was happening that you remember those days because I was actually in Ohio as a high schooler and playing against those guys, O.J. Mayo and Bill Walker. So it is you know, it is interesting hearing your guys' perspective on that and having kids stay because we even knew the entire time. Like, oh, Bob Huggins is there recruiting these guys, even though he's not employed. Why didn't you get a scholarship? Oh, I got dunked on by Bill Walker. That that should have been – he should have gave me his scholarship. (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, D.Y., if you could have given Bill Walker uh, your knees, that would have been nice as well, you know? Uh, We were were only down 10 at halftime, still lost. And this was the regional final to get to the state semifinal. We still lost by like 41 points, I believe, even though we were only down 10 at halftime. And if I can remember correctly (laughs) – and they were, that was North College Hill High School in Cincinnati. They won the next game, which was the state semifinal, by over 80 points. Woof. D.Y., haven't, haven't you torn one of your ACLs or both? Yeah, I tore one in middle school. Okay, all right, never mind. Never Clearly, mind. John doesn't know about your knees. See, that's how good of a friend I am. I know. I knew you had a bad knee. So, uh, no, it, it, look, the, uh, the to your point, John, about Julian Phillips, just getting him on campus, talk about the, the social media engagement that we saw for Antoine Davis, and you can probably triple it for a five-star kid and a top 15 player in the country for Julian Phillips. It would be great just to see how, how they would interact, how much they would blow him away in terms of he, – he'd be the big man on campus for sure that weekend. Now, the interesting thing, D.Y., about when his visit, if it, if it does occur on May 6th, that is also the weekend, right, that five-star Layden Blocker is taking his official visit to Kansas State, um, a kid who we just saw. Right, 2023 kid. 2023 kid, correct. And a kid who we just got a report on today that is going to take an official visit to Kansas in June. So this is who the uh, this is the big fish that Kansas State's now swimming against is they got a kid taking one of his five official visits to Manhattan that's going to take an official to, to Kansas just a month later. So. I mean, K-State is in play for some serious talent. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> fair to say. He's for Sunrise. So um, just kind of building building that bridge between Kansas State and Sunrise, obviously not a bad thing. Um, I don't know that there's really ever been that bridge or comfort level between Kansas State and Sunrise, but that would probably be a, an advantageous thing to have. Uh, yeah, there's talent, major talent coming out of Sunrise every year. Buddy Heald is the one that immediately jumps to mind, but I don't know. Does anybody else have other Sunrise guys? Who well, was Marvin uh, Clark? Michigan State got a few. Is that Marvin Clark? Yeah, yeah. Tum Tum yeah. Marin, you know, but yeah. I don't know like how good you consider those guys to be, but they, they are always shipping off guys to, to high-level programs. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of Tum Tum, John, as well. Okay. I mean, he was just a really good defensive player, not much of a scorer, but uh, a solid player for Michigan State. And Marvin Clark, you're right. Yeah, um, I digress. Either way, you're right. I mean, that's a great point. Blocker, I don't even know that much about. I haven't familiarized myself enough with him. But seeing that earlier today, it was like, yeah, what? Kansas is coming in after this kid. He's a five-star kid. He's taking a visit to K-State. Like, it is 
unbelievable the world that K-State is in right now compared to where this program is at a month ago, a month and a half ago, et cetera. One last thing on the basketball front. So I think this is a part of – this has been something very interesting for me to watch, the reaction to Nigel Pack going to Miami. And, and it's not just that he went to Miami. It's that we found out he gets this two-year, $800,000 deal uh, to do so. I have seen a wide variety of reactions to this. It didn't do much for me because I think, and this is where it's like, if you're connected like us, I mean, like we knew, like Nigel Pack, there was no, he was not coming back. Like that was a pretty ugly exit. He was not coming back. And through virtually seemingly no fault of Tang or this coaching staff's own, it was just not going to happen. So I had just written it off. It was like, look, yeah, he's a high-profile transfer. Like something like that's going to happen. Like that's what the environment is. He's going to be gone somewhere else. I think he kind of messed with folks on social media a little bit in the 24-hour period leading up to his decision, which may have stoked some of these flames as well. But I don't know. I have a hard time giving this much other than just like a shoulder throw. Like, yes, okay, Nigel Pack's options were stay and play for a new coach with – virtually none of your teammates that were still around, like maybe just a couple and none of the coaches that you came to play for at K-State where you were getting money last year. I mean, getting a substantial amount of money last year, but not $800,000. Or you can go live in Miami, live in Miami, play college hoops for a team that just went to the Elite Eight with a pretty good coach. And oh, by the way, make eight hundred grand. Like, I, well, I, of course, that was the decision. I don't know. It just, to me, it was more of a nothing burger, and it seemed like there were a lot of visceral reactions from a lot of people. I think I think my only reaction would be, I assume that, now, now I, I can't speak to every situation that was on the table for him, but I assume that he was probably going to have a lot of money available to him regardless of where he went. And I just would imagine him going back closer to home. Now, maybe he can turn down the beach and everything else that comes with the situation at Miami, but Purdue, I, I guess I'm just more surprised that that was the choice and not someone like Purdue. Well, yeah, I, I enough, but I guess as like a K-State fan, I just, I don't know, like who cares? Oh, yes, I would have guessed. Good going like, back to me. Yeah. yeah, like as long as he's not going somewhere in the Big 12 or coming back here, like I just, whatever, he's gone. Or Illinois, right? Or Illinois. <laughs> yes, Illinois, yes. Illinois would have sucked as well. Uh, that, that would not have been fun. Yeah, I mean, I... Good for good for Nigel Pack. I mean, look, getting four hundred thousand dollars a year. I, I don't think any of us would turn that down if we were offered that to, and to live in Miami. The only thing I would I do find interesting, and maybe some of the dangers of this is having that publicized of how much money he's going to be having, and he's in Miami. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that can take advantage of him when they know how much money is in his pocketbook and his bank account, right? And he's on South Beach. I don't know how I feel about college kids and and that being out there. And being promoted so heavily, yeah, I, I no, I, I would agree with that. Um, you, you're probably making a target of a robbery at that point too. You're putting right, it up right like, like that, and also the target of, I mean, we've seen it before, some fan unhappiness. I mean, he's going to see that dollar figure probably in mean tweets to him by Miami fans when he has a poor game, because now there is a certain expectation that comes with that compensation that you're going to be automatically owed. I also do wonder, you go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and you're going to see some signs about all that money you made too from opposing fans because now they know how much you're making. And 
I, I guess that's just going to be a new world that we're just going to be exposed to. And I wonder what those like side, I don't want to say unintended consequences, but just side reactions will be like. Um, but I do think that it probably would be best if like the concrete amount would not be out there just because you know, he's probably, at least I was at that age, still learning what to do with that money. So having everyone know how much I make is probably putting me in a, you know, a little bit of a muddy situation. The, the, the social media pressure from all 800 Miami basketball fans that exist is going to be extreme. <laughs> well, yeah. you, you took the opportunity to make a joke. I was going to say, hell, Cameron Indoor, they could just go borrow the money guns that Bill Self had lying around for Snoop Dogg when he came in the other day. So they could just shoot money at him with those things. I don't know. Maybe the acrobatic ban- dance team is there, too. That seems very Miami-esque. Um, Another interesting angle, and not that it's like a concerning one, but it is funny that it's a like a contract, like a, a the multi year contract when he's technically declared for the NBA draft right now. Like <laughs> college, college, college basketball is it is kind of a mess. I mean, it is definitely kind of a mess right now. I can't really argue too much with that. Um, I guess I just in the end view it like, and I don't mean this to come across like mean, to, but it's not my problem. I like. Nigel Pack. And by the way, Nigel Pack has a pretty good head on his shoulders and seems yeah. to have very good parents. Like I, I understand this is more of like a global point and there are kids that wouldn't be as well equipped to handle it. I'm not all that worried about That's Nigel Pack handling it because of who he is and what his situation was. Um I don't know. I just very quickly removed myself from Nigel Pack hearing about how ugly it seemed to be when he was on his way out the door uh at K State, or at least just, you know some hard feelings on both sides of the deal. So it was like, look, he's not coming back. I just didn't detach myself pretty completely from, uh, from that situation. It's over. K-State's in play for five-star recruits right now. And one of the most high-profile transfers that's out there that's an elite scorer in the country. Just moving on. Moving on. Uh, we've taken a ton of time with basketball here. Football-wise, there was no spring game. I don't know if people are I, – I think because basketball is so hot right now, I didn't see a whole lot of complaining or discussion about the fact that there was no spring game. Uh, They're still there a little bit. Still there a little bit. Injuries play a large role in that. And look, I will will level with the everyman fan a little bit here and say, like, it's kind of a bummer. Like, I would have enjoyed a spring game. I want whatever morsel of football you can give me at this point in time. But there is also the element of I, the way it goes now, and the way spring games are presented now, and we saw all over Twitter, you know, the comparisons of USC's crowd versus Oklahoma's crowd, and you know, people are just being very judgy about the crowds and how you do it up. It would not have been a monster crowd um, for a spring game. I just feel like you, you got to do the spring game really well, or maybe just don't do it at all instead yeah. of uh, half you know whating a, a spring game, which it felt to me like that's probably what this would have been. K State was really injured. There is, I think excitement for the team next year but it's not like not like Oklahoma levels of excitement right now where they were able to fill whatever it was 50,000 plus into into they had north of 70,000 there okay. if you, if you and that it. is by the way good guy who's been hating on Venables in Oklahoma that is a great look for Oklahoma that can do a lot for you I legitimately do think that but K-State was not going to have that no K-State was not going to have that if you're not going to have that then is there really worth in doing it? I don't think so because, I mean, Kansas State's going to have a fraction of that. And I think you have to have some self-awareness there to whether to do it, try to do it that way. And if you can, whether you should do it or not. And I've never had a problem. Chris Thomas never had a spring game. He had a 
spring showcase one time and coincidentally that that was the day that Deuce Vaughn committed to Kansas State, though he was not a big commit or you know thought of as a big time prospect at the time. Um, he picked Kansas State of Arkansas, Missouri at, at that spring showcase. So um, ironic how things work out in, in, in that way. But yeah, no big deal to me. Um, for the fans that are still kind of upset that they don't have that, uh, I saw two different practices. The first twenty to thirty minutes of them, you're not missing much. Um, they were that banged up, and so there wouldn't be a whole lot to glean from what you may or may not have seen in that thing. I will say this for the whole spring game, our crowd is bigger than your crowd kind of thing, too, with that. And I'm, I guess I'm going to take a veiled shot here at Oklahoma. I'm like, first, like, stop worrying about USC a little bit. Like, it's not a good look that you're so consumed by them, and they're not in your conference. They're not going to be in your conference. They're not even in your time zone. And second, um, I don't think Oklahoma's landed a commitment since then, and now it's supposed to be like a big recruiting splash event. And when I say splash, it's supposed to cause like a rush of commits, right? I don't think I've seen any. In fact, I think they've lost a kid to Texas, so it's interesting to look at it that way. Ohio State tried to do it. I think I forget what year it was. I covered Ohio State, and they had a I think a spring game crowd north of ninety thousand one year. They just tried to do it real big, and the only commitment they got on from that event was a guy that they were always going to get. It was Joey Bosa. Um, there was no, there was no scenario where they weren't going to get Joey Bosa. Um, they did. I think they got another kid that ended up decommitting. So I think those are just overrated recruiting events in itself as well. If you can do it big, you can get huge crowds like that. Good for you. I've never been a big fan of spring games. I can't get into them when they're televised. I don't get into them. I don't get into them when I'm attending them. I mean, it's just it's hard for me with, with you're just watching drill work and basically scrimmage against your own team. You know, it's nice for 20, 25 minutes, but you're not going to see Deuce Vaughn out there taking hits. You're not going to see Adrian Martinez getting hit, Felix sitting out. All your star players would be sitting this thing out and you'd probably have eight to nine thousand people there. And that's not going to blow anybody away. So I think it's better just to not probably have it. Um, but but D.Y., to your point, I mean, the, the kid. Then ended up going to Texas, just taking that back to Kansas State recruiting. That's a guy that was thought to be an Oklahoma lean that was a running back, right? A four-star kid, top top 100 borderline recruit. And and how will that sway the Dylan Edwards recruitment in your eyes? And, you know, obviously he was at the OU spring game. Yeah, we're talking about Trey Wisner, a four-star running back from Waco, was thought to be an Oklahoma lean. Um, I don't know where he committed to Texas over the weekend. Um, it's interesting. It definitely maybe leaves a hole there that Dylan Edwards doesn't have to be as concerned over. Maybe it takes away concern. You know, initially, the feedback that I've gotten is that it doesn't really change things, the dynamics a whole lot. I think both sides, tell you what, I feel like Kansas State's probably feeling pretty good about their chances, probably more than I'm, better than I do. And when I kind of go to the Oklahoma side of things, I think they're a little bit more feeling like it's a little bit more 50-50 torn kind of thing. So it's interesting just to view it that way because I think most people with the naked eye, like just a fan, just watching and unfolding it from at least the impression I get is a lot of fans think he's gone and um, not going to K-State. And I think it's a much closer battle than they realize. I I, I don't know if it's PTSD or just assuming you're not going to beat Oklahoma for a kid, um, which is – is what it is on that, I guess. But I think Kansas State, I mean, they are not a foregone conclusion to come out of the losing end. And, um, I don't know who I would pick. I'd go back and forth, but they're more in it than I think they're giving credit. I, 
I, I think the UI part of it, right? K-State fans are getting a little impatient with the Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards recruitment, but I think a lot of that probably goes back. We've been hearing about these guys for so long. Yeah. People forget they were being recruited as sophomores in high school. Right. I, and I, 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 I think Bill Snyder, Bill Snyder didn't want to recruit anybody until they were like halfway through their senior yeah. year. So I, I think they were just... almost unfairly treated in that way. They're like, man, they're taking forever. It's taking forever. Well, K-State has three commits total, so everyone's taking forever if you look at it by using that logic. Uh, the, the issue is that they've had offers for so long because they're that good. I did, look, Dylan Evers, I'll be honest. I, I believe you. I fully believe you that K-State is very much in this recruitment. I do not expect him to be in purple and white. I just, again, this is, I've seen too much of it for too long. Basketball, at least, look, it's a new staff. And these are guys that, I mean, they're doing things recruiting-wise we haven't seen already in a long time. I I think Chris Kleiman is doing a fine job. I have a lot of high hopes for next year. I think recruiting is is clearly getting better and they're they, they feel like they're close to turning a corner. I need to be, I'm gonna have to see it to believe it, man. I mean, like, we, we, we went through 2020 where they had that monster class in Kansas, and I know that was early on, but it was like, you know, we heard great things about where they were at with Turner Corcoran. We heard great things about where they were at with Kai Thomas. Like neither of those things actually turned and flipped. And it feels like these are the same kind of battles and situations here. And I just, a- Avery Johnson, I am more optimistic about than Dylan Edwards for sure. You but should. the, mm, I have seen this too many times. I've seen this, but I'm, you're going to have to show me a different movie. You got to swap it out on the projector and show me a different movie before I can legitimately believe it. And I, I think that is, fair skepticism to come by right now, to be honest. No, it is fair. I will say, I think it's also fair to say they've already turned the corner in some ways just by defeating Iowa State, who they were losing to on a consistent basis for there for a bit, by defeating Iowa State for both of those kids from Wichita already, Wesley Fair and Willie Ensignore. It's a step. That's a big step because you got you got to beat the Iowa States of the world. And and then on the Avery Johnson front, D.Y., big news today. I mean, you alluded to it with your uh, your good gif of QB Domino's tweet, I believe, on Sunday. But uh, we saw some news of of commitments to other programs in the Avery Johnson hut that got a couple quarterbacks committed. So that that increases the likelihood even more for Kansas State. You got to like that, right? You know, if you want to hit on that a little bit. Yeah, the, the Domino's are certainly falling in their favor. I, I mean, I think they were trending very, very well for Avery Johnson already. And, and Kurt, you alluded to it. And you were optimistic on it, so that means they've definitely been trending in the right direction <laughs> for a while. And some people are saying, oh, it's happening because he's everyone else's backup plan. I don't buy that. Maybe in a few cases, some cases, but not all of them. I think they were – I mean, it's been going for months, like when they started to really turn the corner. And it almost coincides, if you really want to pay attention and look into it, when Colin Klein took over um, as offensive coordinator and just kind of – started to get that ball rolling it that the offense was going to be, for lack of a better term, more fun, right? So I think that's really when it started to, to shake the leaves of that recruitment the most. But having Ole Miss find their quarterback um, and Marcel Reed, Arkansas land Malachi Singleton. Yep, I mean, these names probably don't matter to you as a K-State fan, but he's from Georgia. Those two were contending for Avery Johnson, and they wanted Avery Johnson, don't, absolutely. And, to say that they didn't would be wrong by by some folks, but now that they get quarterbacks, they probably you know Shepherd's another one to Oregon that could have ended up being a player for Avery Johnson as well, especially since they had just offered Dylan Edwards. So uh, everything 
I guess the right pieces of the puzzle, they're, they're just all coming together that you would think, I mean, something would have to go really, really wrong or at least change in a very significant way for me not to feel confident for Kansas State's chances. Well, I think that's a nice note to end on. Some optimism from DY. Uh, I'm sorry to be the pessimistic one. Look, if they land him, you got, I'll throw a freaking parade in the street. Well, by the street, I mean Twitter. I mean, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll be all over the place. Oh, I thought you were going to say you were to throw him NIL money. I thought he was going there too. Oh, well, I don't really have much to get. I don't, you know what? <laughs> I actually have said this before. What I would do is I would, I would give them a Yacht Club membership to Mojo's. Is that would, that is the NIL collective I would like to start. Um, to the best bar around in uh, in Manhattan, is 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 offering a um, a boat ride on Cole's boat. Is that part of our nil? <laughs> you know that uh, that's part of your guys's nil fund and reimbursement. Is you'll get to come. Maybe maybe yeah, we'll you know, record it. I feel like I've been waiting on that for a while. The check never really cleared or cashed or anything on that. I don't know. I've been waiting for a while. Well, I tell you what. Maybe we'll do a three mile pod on the boat this summer. Now that's an time. idea. So there you go. That's an that idea. that could be that that could get a little interesting. You guys uh, might have to be able to censor some things. So. Well, what about uh, can we can we like auction off uh, a spot on the uh, Freema Manbeck boat trip and then use that for some nil money to try and you know tilt the scales? The, do our own little power cat auction? Should we open up my mother in law's quilting retreat on the Council Grove City Lake for a recruiting weekend? Uh, yes. I yeah. should have donated that to the Powercat auction this weekend. <laughs> Quiet Waters you recruiting weekend up for bid. Cole Mambeck and uh, Dy John Kurtz will take take you out on the one seven five Bayliner from two thousand seven. We'll uh, take you on a little fishing expedition too. Man, and you know what? You know what we'll be drinking. We'll be drinking that new bourbon that's coming out from uh, Holiday Distillery. And maybe some 360 vodka as well, because we appreciate their support as always here on the podcast. Um, all right. We'll wrap things up uh, mercifully for the sake of Tucker Franklin, who does great work behind the scenes. As always, for Derek Young and Cole Manbeck, I am John Kurtz. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.